church. I am so glad you are here this morning to seek and worship the Lord together. Come on in. Well, hi, my name is Lauren. For those that don't know me, if this is your first time or you haven't been here too much, I welcome you. Um, settle in. Make yourself at home. Um, this is your home. You're with the kingdom of God. So um, a couple things I want to make you guys aware of. Um, first, construction is going well. Um, things are moving along for our downstairs that had experienced some flooding um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, progress is being made. And I'm happy to report that the restrooms downstairs are open. Now, just avert your eyes from some of the work that's going on um, around the restrooms in terms of the flooring and the walls. But the restrooms downstairs are open again. So if you need to use the restroom during the service, um, we'd invite you to go out the back doors, down the stairs, and there will be signs pointing you to the restroom, women's and men's down there. Um, of course, if you have um, a physical need, uh, there are restrooms through this door. Uh, we just ask that if you can, refrain from using those during the message just to cut down on distraction. But there are bathrooms downstairs available in working order and upstairs. Um, let's see. I am excited to announce that Faith Followers, our discipleship program for third through fifth graders, your next Faith Followers meeting is this Wednesday at 630 because of all the um, uh, upgrades that are going on downstairs, faith followers will be meeting upstairs, just like um, our kids' church does on a Sunday morning. This Wednesday evening, faith followers will be upstairs, so we would invite you um, and your third through fifth graders to come um, for that. Also, Kingdom Basics. I am so excited. We announced this um teaching series, uh, Sunday evening teaching series as an opportunity uh, to dive deeper into what the Lord is doing on Sunday mornings. Um, we're going to be diving into some topics uh, that really connect with what Pastor Charles is doing on Sunday morning. Right now he's laying a foundation for what Faith Church believes, um, Faith Church dogmatics or faith, what Faith Church believes and how that uh, mm, how that affects how we live our lives and what that means for our community and the kingdom of God. So we want to give you an opportunity to dive into not just listening, but also participating and practicing the gifts of the Spirit, practicing what we're learning on Sunday mornings, as well as um, a time to go a little bit deeper than the small bit of time that we have on a Sunday morning. So we've got a number of topics coming up. Uh, by the end of service, there will be flyers on the connect wall as well with all the information that's on the screen right now. So if you want to mark your calendars, um, we'll talk about tonight in just a minute. But on September 24th, we have authority in children. I'm excited about this one. This is something that our kids are invited to. Um, uh, it's also something that we, a uh, place that we're going to have a chance to pray over them and pray with them. Uh, on October 1st, Sunday evening, we'll be talking about hearing God's voice. What does that look like? Is that possible for us as believers today? And if so, how do we do that? How do we tune our ear to the Lord? And what implications does that have on the kingdom of God on earth? Super important. And then finally, on October 8th, we'll be talking about healing. What does it look like to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven through praying for healing for people and seeing God's power move in that way? So I'd invite you to all of those items um, excuse me, all of those opportunities to jump in at 6 p.m. on Sunday evenings, starting tonight. And tonight, uh, I am so excited because our worship director, Amy, praise band director, Amy, is going to be teaching and um, teaching us on that. And I'm going to turn it over to her to give us some more details on that. 
All right. Well, I'm very excited about tonight, and I just want to give you a personal invitation to come out. A uh, couple of things to tell you. Uh, when we do these things on Sunday nights, we're not just coming to learn. We are coming to practice. So tonight, we will put into practice what we are learning. So with that being said, there will be child care um, for our little ones. But I encourage you, man, if, you, if you've got a child that knows how to worship, I mean from three, through ages three and up, they need to be in the room. Bring your worship, I, I don't know what the word is, paraphernalia. Don't, don't Google that. I did that. It was not good. Uh, there, were, <laughs> there were more demonic and witchcraft stuff on there than there were godly things. But we come, to, we come to worship with our arsenal. I mean, sometimes we don't even bring our Bibles on Sunday mornings. But tonight, if you've got a shofar, if you've got a flag, if you've got a banner, if you've got a tambourine, bring it. If you've got an instrument, bring it. I'll tell you what, what key the songs are in, and you can play along. Whatever you have. Bring it, and we're just going to give the Lord an offering of, of praise tonight. So let's stand together as we begin to worship the Lord um, through prayer. There's all kind of worship going on. We kind of limit that, and we're going to talk about that tonight. We kind of limit that to singing, but there's worship that's, man, worship has been filling this place through the act of prayer. If you're not coming to Sunday morning prayer, come. Father God, we enter your presence with thanksgiving. We enter your courts with praise. We come humbly before you to worship you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, God, that we might experience your glory, that we might enter into your presence in a way that we will leave radically and forever changed. Oh, settle in with us, Holy Spirit. Make this room your home. Make our hearts your home. We worship and adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, come on, great I am, you are. Great I am. Is real and death is a 
presence and your power to invade this place. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.
your kingdom is advancing here on earth and that we get to be a part of that and I pray if there's someone in the room and you're struggling to believe because you haven't gotten your miracle or God didn't give you the miracle that you prayed for in a certain situation it doesn't mean he's not a miracle working God he is the God who performs, does, and works miracles, but they're all for his glory and they're all for his purposes. So while we don't understand, we just have to trust and believe the Lord for miracles. <laughs> we may get there. <laughs> right now, we're, we're going to come back to that. Thank you, Sherry, for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's spirit-led. But right now, Abby's going to lead us in a song. And this is a girl who's been praying for a miracle for a long, 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 long time. And she hasn't seen her miracle yet. But we continue to believe. We continue to believe for miracles. Everybody we pray for hasn't been healed or set free or delivered. Or... But many have. And we believe God for greater things. We believe him for more. Because he is the God of miracles. Just declare that under your breath. God, you are the God of miracles. Everything you say with your mouth has power. Let him know you're believing him for greater things. You're believing him in the impossible. Oh, 
Keep us away from evil and the evil one. Because yours is the power and the glory forever.
Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. God, thank you. I thank you that you are all those things, and all those things belong to you. as we open your word, I pray that our hearts and our spirits remain in reverence and awe of you. That, that all the goodness, all the glory, all the praise, all the honor belongs to you, not to any of us, Lord, but to you. So visit us, Lord, even as we open your word. Jesus' name. Amen. Stay standing for me. 50 weeks in the Word, every week people have committed to one chapter, to read one chapter, same chapter every day, to memorize one verse, and then we do one Bible study of it on Wednesdays. And this week our chapter was Philippians chapter 3, and our verse was verse 7. It's a short one, so maybe even if you had it committed, you can look at it and you could say it along with us. So let's say it together. But whatever gain I have for your sake of God. Philippians 3, 7. You may have a seat. We're in our continuing series, Faith Dogmatics. We're talking about what we believe as a church. Um, we've gone over some, we'll do a quick little recap, but this morning we're talking about what it is to live like Jesus. Every Christian would say that living like Jesus should be an ultimate goal and an ultimate aim that we have. I want you to imagine for a second that, um, that, that uh, you're a basketball coach, and if you don't know anything about basketball, it's okay, just stay with me for a second, okay? And a little boy tells you, I want to be like Steph Curry. That's, that's who I want to be like. I want to be like Steph Curry. And you tell the little boy, well, okay. Well, that means that you should really start practicing basketball. And what if that little boy looked up to you and said, no, I don't want to be like, I don't want to play basketball. Well, that doesn't make any sense, young man. Why would you want to be like Steph Curry? Well, he seems like a really nice guy. He has a, a, a nice wife, and he has cute kids, and he loves his family, and he has his own line of shoes, and I just like to be like Steph Curry. Okay, but he plays basketball too. Yeah, but that's not important. When the reality is, is that's like the main identity of Steph Curry is as a basketball player. 
So this boy would just say, I don't, no, I'll pass on that. Just give me all the other stuff. And we're going to talk this morning about living like Jesus and how ridiculous sometimes it is to say, I want to live like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And then we say, okay, here's what Jesus did. And we're like, ah, not, not any of that stuff. Give me all the stuff that's on the outside of it. Give me the, the guy who seems really nice and really kind and the guy who says really smart things. But that other stuff, ah, just forget it. But this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to live like Jesus. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 4 with me, I'm just going to read a few verses. I'm just going to read verses 16 to 21. Um, uh, where's 16? That page. All right. Here we go. And here's what it says. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And this is the word of the Lord. These are our first three dogmatics that we've gone over. Dogmatics is just a fancy word for beliefs. We believe all of the things that uh, the all church through all history has affirmed. We believe the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, all of that good stuff. We believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. But these are beliefs that fall outside of those that we still hold to. We believe that the world is a supernatural place that there's more going on that we cannot see than sometimes than what is going on of what we can see. And so we believe uh, that there are forces of good and forces of evil locked in spiritual battle, and that spiritual battle pours out into our physical world. We believe that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God when he began his earthly ministry, and we wait its fulfillment even now. So that Jesus brought something to earth, something tangible and real. Not just a thought, not just a, a belief system, but he brought the very presence kingdom of God in his earthly ministry. And he inaugurated it and we're waiting for its fulfillment sometime when he comes back. And Jesus displayed the good news of the kingdom when he taught with authority, when he healed the sick, and when he cast out demons. And last week I said that, that he would display the kingdom. And he displayed the kingdom power in three main ways. Preaching and teaching the kingdom of God while offering a place for all in the kingdom. And then when he would heal the sick and when he cast out demons. It's clear that there were other kingdom activities. But these are the ones displayed by Jesus the most. And the Bible directly states that these are works and acts of the kingdom. And so this morning, we're going to go to dogmatic number four. Faith Church believes that all the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today and are available for all Jesus followers. 
So uh, that, that belief, if you want to put it in theological terms, is called continuationist or continuationisms. We are a continuationist church. The gifts of the Spirit have continued. The opposite of that, the opposite belief, that the gift of the the gifts of the Spirit, uh, well, some of the gifts of the Spirit that they chose to say stopped with the apostles or with the canon of Scripture is called cessationism. I believe that's a false belief. I think it's a belief that has hurt the church over the last seven or eight centuries. And I'll say no more because a, only a fool gives full vent to his wrath. <laughs> but a wise man keeps his mouth shut and I'm getting wiser by the day. And so here's... Here's, here's what I'm going to teach this morning, that Jesus being fully God, never stopped being fully God, was always God, but he carried out his earthly ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are empowered by the same Spirit to do the works that Jesus did. All right. when, I, when I first started to read this and reconcile it in my spirit and trying to figure out, God, is this what it is? I would, it it was a paradigm shift. There were two big paradigm shifts for me in the last uh, six years or so, five years or so. The first paradigm shift was the theology of the kingdom of God, what Jesus actually came preaching, what Jesus actually came bringing, what we live in now and what we're gonna have in the future. That shifted the way that I would read the Bible and read the New Testament. And then you go back and you see ec- or foreshadows of that kingdom in the Old Testament. And it made me step back and say, okay, that's something I've never thought of before, and maybe I should think about it. And the second was this, was how did Jesus do perform his miracles and his great works? How did he do that? Uh, more importantly, what does the, how does the Bible say that he did it? Not how do I think he did it, what, do I, what have I been taught, but how does the Bible say that he performed all these works? And that's what we're gonna talk about. And, and if this is uh, your first time hearing this, and it kind of strikes you wrong, just settle in. Just settle in. Read. If you want more resources, let me know. This didn't come overnight to me, right? And if it's your second or third time, look for that thing that you haven't gripped onto before and listen there. And so we're gonna talk about Jesus on earth in line with all the uh, historical creeds and foundational beliefs of the church Jesus is the only person to ever live that was fully God and fully man, right? In some, in, in what uh, theologians call the hypostatic union, the incarnation, we don't, we don't fully understand how that, like it, it, to put that into to terms that are, are good for us, like coming up for a analogy. Look, I've been teaching for a lot of years and I still haven't come up with a good analogy for Jesus being fully God and fully man. He just was fully God and fully man. And just so we're clear, during his time on earth, Jesus never lost any of his deity or what I'm gonna call this morning his godness. He was always fully God. But in coming to earth, Jesus willingly chose to become a man and live with the limitations that a man has. Just on a basic biological level, he gets hungry. 
Now, I don't know if this happened, but what if Jesus was four years old and he's just finally figuring out, like, I'm a person, he's, he's able to think things and, and formulate uh, coherent thoughts to his parents. I wonder what he felt like when he felt hungry for the first time. Was he like, oh, this is what it's like. Like David wrote about it to me because he said that he hungered and thirsted and he was panted for water like a deer. That's what this is like. I don't know if he did that, but he was never hungry in heaven. He's not hungry now. He was never tired, but we see that he gets tired. He has to sit down places because he's tired. He gets thirsty, tells the woman at the well, can you get me some water? He never had this before, but he willingly chose to do that. Hebrews chapter two says this. He says, since therefore the children, you and me, we share in flesh and blood. We're flesh and we're blood. It's all there. Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He partook of flesh and blood. He took that onto his deity. And then a verse that, that uh, three verses actually that we need to, to go through is Philippians 2, five through eight. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of his deity, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is a little aside because I've, I've taught on this ver- these verses before. I've read them dozens and dozens of times. But he, it says that he humbled himself. How did he humble himself? By becoming obedient. Obedience is humility. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I, I needed to point that out here. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death. But it says that he emptied himself. And the word for emptied himself is the Greek word kenosis. And this is what we're talking about this morning, this Jesus emptying himself. But what did he empty himself of? He never laid aside his godness, but he laid aside his divine privileges. If we keep the basketball metaphor going, right? When my kids ask me to play basketball in the driveway, if I gave my all, they couldn't score on me. My son's a foot shorter than me. My daughter, my daughter, I, I'm just, I'm older, so I'm quicker than her. Even in my old age, I'm quicker. I know how to move my feet on defense. Right? They wouldn't score on me. And then they couldn't stop me from scoring either. Right? Like, I have a jumper, but I wouldn't even have to use it. I just bump them aside and get layups all day. Game to 11, it's 11 to zero. And they'd feel so bad, it'd be like 11 to minus five. That's how bad it would be. But when I play with them, I choose not to to give full weight of my ability. If I'm keeping all the same words and verbiage, I empty myself of that. 
And I'll tell them things like, I'm not gonna block your shot, but I'm gonna try to scare you while you're shooting. So they get used to it, not because I like instilling fear in them. But you know, get in the face while somebody's shooting, it's a good thing. So God, right, so, so while I'm playing with them, I never lose the ability to absolutely destroy them. But I say, I'm not going to do that at this moment. God never loses any of his godness, but he, or Jesus never loses any of his godness, but he limits himself so that he can live as an example for us. How did he limit it himself? While on earth, he is not omnipresent. He can't be two places at once. You never hear that Jesus was preaching in Judea, but he showed up in Jerusalem, right? He was never in Galilee and then showed up in Bashan, right? He was not omnipresent, but we would all say that he can be everywhere now. He was not omniscient, which means he didn't know everything. Right? The, uh, the basic one, a basic one is he's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and his disciples are arguing with some people in the crowd. Not really what you want to see, right? As their leader and their rabbi, they're getting into arguments. And he's walking down, he's like, haven't I taught them anything? And he goes up to him and he says, what are you guys arguing about? Now, is he just being manipulative? And just saying, I don't, oh, I know exactly what you are arguing about because I'm Jesus. Or did he really not know? Because they answer him and they say, uh, well, we couldn't cast this demon out of this guy's son. Right? Uh, so can you help us? And he goes to the father and he says, how long has this, or the father tells him, uh, he, he has seizures, throws him into fire, throws him into water. And then Jesus asks, well, how long has it been happening? Does, is he lying to the man by saying, I don't know when it's ha- how long it's happened. Is it, how long has it been happening? Right? And then the one where he just says it straight out, he says, look, I don't know the time of my return, nor do the angels. Nobody knows except for my Father in heaven. I don't know everything. And he's not omnipotent, which means all-powerful, because in Mark and in other Gospels, it says that he goes to a place and he cannot do any mighty works there because of the lack of faith of the people in the town. It doesn't say he did not do. He chose not to do. It said he could not do anything because of the lack of faith, except he healed a few people. So he limits himself willingly by coming into flesh and blood. He was, the gospels clearly show that he was limited in where he could be, what he can know, and what he can do in his full humanness. And it's only because he laid those attributes to the side while he was on earth. He says something uh, that, that, that's sort of related to this when he's on the cross. And they're mocking him. And he just looks and he says, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could call 10,000 angels to my rescue right now? But he chose not to. I just get the sense that that's kind of how Jesus was. At any point, I can't, right? James and John come up to him and they say, hey, Let's rain lightning and let's rain down thunder and lightning on our enemies. 
yeah, I could if I wanted to, but I don't want to. He, he chose, willingly chose to limit himself. But there was still miracle power in him, through him, for others. And it's very important to note what the Bible says and does not say about the miracle working power of Jesus. Because I think that the church brings in a lot of assumptions because most, many churches might say something like, well, he did all of his miracles because he was God. But the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. And we're gonna go through verses. Here's what it says. Here's what, or here's what you have to understand. Jesus never takes credit for supplying the power for a miracle, ever. He talks about the works that he does, so he doesn't deny that he performs miracles, but he never says, and all the power comes from me, or I've supplied the power, or by my power, by my might. In fact, he says the exact opposite in multiple places that we'll note later. The apostles in their writings or in the, the, the sermons that we hear or that we see in the book of Acts, the apostles never credit Jesus with performing a miracle out of his godness. They never say, because Jesus was God, he was able to heal the sick or the blind, uh, heal the blind, make the lame walk. Maybe John 20, 30, but I just put that in there in case somebody was like trying to say, well, it says that he did all these other things. Well, maybe. Jesus never performs a miracle on his own behalf. He never does it to gain something. Except for maybe the coin in the fish's mouth. He has to pay the temple tax, him and Peter. And, they, and he's like, I don't know. And then they're, they're questioning him. And he, he just goes, he says, look, go catch a fish. You're going to find a couple coins. And then we'll pay the temple tax. That's really the only time that miracle, a miracle benefited him on his own behalf. Uh, but that even barely counts because he could have just reached his hand into a bush and pulled out whatever he wanted to. He could have pulled out temple taxes. He could have pulled, you know, he could have done it all, but he didn't. So we're saying this morning that he did everything empowered by the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, we see the Holy Spirit come to anoint Jesus. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. That's when the Holy Spirit comes on him. It descends on him and it uses Old Testament language for when the Holy Spirit would come on people or fill people in the, in the Old Testament. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And when John, the apostle, retells this, he says, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit de descended from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. It stayed on him. It never left him. John bore this witness. Look, it's what the Bible says and does not say. Jesus performed no miracles until after the Holy Spirit comes on him. We, we don't see much of Jesus' life. We know they go to Egypt. We know they come back. We know that he's at the temples and he is able with wisdom to argue against the rabbis, but he doesn't perform any miracles until the Holy Spirit comes on him. And immediately following his baptism, we begin to see that the Holy Spirit begins to lead him in everything that he's doing. And he, he comes up from his baptism and the next 
the next piece that we see of Jesus, it says that he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. He didn't just go, he didn't get off track. He wasn't hiking and went off the trail. None of that. The Holy Spirit led him. We don't know if it was a voice, a prompting. We don't know what it was, but it said, go into the wilderness. You have a showdown. But the Spirit leads him. And then immediately following the temptation, the Holy Spirit empowers him to go to the next place. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report, a report went out a report about him went out through the surrounding country. So he, he's being led by the Spirit everywhere he's going. And his ministry only functions because of, the Holy, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in the verse that I read to open us this morning. He gets the scroll and he opens it to Isaiah. It, it says, it says, uh, it, it, as was his custom, he's in Nazareth. He went to the synagogue and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. It's not happenstance. It's not an accident. He's there and they hand him a scroll and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me after his baptism, after he's been led because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is what Jesus does. This is an outline of Jesus' ministry. He proclaims good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, whether they were captive to blindness, whether they were captive to lameness, whether they were captive to deafness, whether they were captive to a mat that they had to lay on. He comes and proclaims liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, the demon oppressed, those oppressed by the world, the culture, the systems, all of it. He comes and proclaims them, you are now free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is his whole ministry, but how can he do it? Because the spirit of the Lord is upon him. And then he sits down and he says, so guys, this has just been fulfilled. You're looking at it. And they look at him and they're like, it says they marvel. And then they marvel for a second. And then somebody in the back's like, hey, this is just Joseph's son. He's a carpenter. Do you know what he's saying right now? They're like, yeah, let's kill him. Man, that's a quick reversal of an audience. They're like, yes, Jesus, yes. Oh, yeah, that's who he, let's kill him. Let's keep it peaceful this morning, all right? In Matthew 12, there's the prophecy, and Jesus quotes it, that I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Right, there's this, this Old Testament theme that yes, Israel is the chosen nation of God, but they're supposed to be the light that draws the Gentiles in. They're supposed to be the nation that restores the whole world into the kingdom of God, and they fail, but God said beforehand, and again, he's quoting the prophets here. He says, I will put my spirit upon the Messiah, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. So he's fulfilling all the things that Old Testament Israel failed to fulfill. But it functions because of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Healing and casting out demons was only possible because he was anointed with the Spirit. Right? Peter is proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom to the Gentiles for the very first time. And when he's describing Jesus, here's how he describes him. He says, you might have heard how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? With the Holy Spirit and with power. So Jesus had to be anointed by the Father with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what happened when that, when that occurred? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It only functions because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Quoted this verse last week. But if it's by the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God has come upon them because he casts out demons. Thank you, Cass. That is spirit-empowered ministry. If it is by that spirit, then the kingdom of God's here. In Acts 2, Peter is preaching again, or this is the first time that he preaches. And he says, men of Israel... Hear these words. This is after the Acts 2, the upper room, tongues of fire. They're speaking in tongues. Everybody comes and Peter starts to preach. And he says, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. How is he attested? With mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Not that Jesus did. Not that Jesus willed and empowered, but God did them through Jesus in his midst, and then he goes on to say, and you crucified him, you killed him, you better repent, and everybody's like, we repent. But how did he do his, how, how were his signs performed? God's work through him. Look, Jesus does not raise himself from the dead. Romans eight eleven. if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the spirit raises Jesus from the dead and then comes and lives in you. The most supernatural act of all time. So that man, that God dead for three days and an angel rolling away the tomb and him walking out, conquering the enemies of God, conquering death. And that same spirit that empowered all of that lives in you. Not in some, uh, not in some uh, super spiritual, ethereal way, like, yeah, Jesus is everywhere, so he's in me. Like, no, the Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus, lives in you. And that spirit was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. And so Paul says, so that spirit is powerful enough to give you life. Because it's in you. Jesus gives his marching orders to the apostles through the power of the spirit. Until that day that he was taking it up, this is an Acts, and they're telling the last part. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus does everything by the Holy Spirit. And so this morning we're talking about how to live like Jesus. 
and how we want to be like Jesus. And for too long, the, the Western church has taught that to be like Jesus means first to know a lot about him. And it's good to know a lot about him, but that's not how we live like him. I can tell you facts about people that I do not want to live like. If you've gone through a history class in school, you could tell facts about Adolf Hitler. And I hope there's no one in here who would be like, I would love to live like Hitler. Just give me a nation, I'll overrule it. Yeah, that's awesome. Kill a bunch of people. So we can know facts but not want to live like somebody. So we have to move beyond just knowing facts. And then we've limited Jesus to just being this nice guy who went around teaching and every now and then he did some stuff that's really good. But Jesus was empowered. And so if we want to live like Jesus, then we have to go more beyond mere facts and more beyond just being nice people. Though we should be nice people. We should be kind and gentle and meek. But it goes beyond that. The fullness of Jesus' ministry was only accomplished because of his full reliance on the Father, not his own power. Look, before I read these verses that are under there, and before you read them, understand who Jesus is. In Colossians chapter one, Paul says that this is who Jesus is. He says that he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. And here's how powerful he is. Here's how majestic and how glory-filled he is. For by him, Jesus, all things were created. The chair you're sitting on? Yeah, it might have been manufactured in China, but it was created by Jesus. The trees that you take shade under, the water that you drink, Paul says, All things were created by him. In heaven, everything in the heavens, that spiritual place that we've talked about, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. This is talking about the the evil spiritual realm when it says dominions, thrones. And so uh, Paul is saying he created the things, the very things that war against him right now. That's how powerful he is. And they owe their mere existence to the goodness of Jesus. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's who Jesus is. All creative, all powerful, all sustaining, the preeminent thing in the universe right now. That's who Jesus is. Hebrews says that he upholds the world by the power of his word. That everything in existence is being held together right now because Jesus holds it together. That's who Jesus is. And yet while he's on earth, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
The son can do nothing of his own accord. Take what I just said about Jesus and then take his statement here and see how mind-blowing that is. He is all of this, and yet he chose to limit himself to the point where he says, if my father's not doing it, I can't do it. That full reliance on him, and that's why he tells us, look, as I am in the father, you be in me. We can do nothing apart from this Jesus. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. John 9, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me. Not my own works, not these things that I'm doing, but I have to do what my father's doing right now. He says, do do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? These words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. He has, he, right now, he has all authority. And here he's saying, I don't say anything by my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. He's not taking credit. He's empowered by the Spirit through the direction of the Father. This is how Jesus lived. Here's a, a, a quote from a book called Convergence by a pastor in outside Toronto named John Thompson. He says, in his humanity, Jesus was completely dependent on his Father and the Holy Spirit for permission, direction, and empowerment. That Jesus expects us to imitate him is a foundational idea introduced in John 5.19 and repeated in John 14.12. Those are on the previous slide. So it comes as no surprise that Jesus is the original spirit-baptized, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered person in every sense of the term, and he wants each of us to follow in his footsteps. So if some kid comes up to you and says, I want to be like Steph Curry, and you say, well, you better start shooting and practicing, and he says, not that part of Steph Curry. You say, kid, you're foolish. That's the main part. So if we say we want to be like Jesus, we can't disregard the main part. Can't disregard his ministry, his power. The spirit that was in him is the same spirit that's in us. Here's what Jesus says when he's talking to his his followers. He says a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. If you're taking a math class, if you're in algebra, and uh, when I was in high school, my, my algebra teacher was Mr. Athos, right? Nobody liked him because he wasn't a good teacher. His job was to train me in algebra so that I could do algebra like he could do algebra. And him, it just came easily and naturally, right? Because he had studied it all his life. He had been immersed in it. He went to college for it. He went to school for it, right? And I'm hearing it for the first time. It's a struggle. It's difficult. But more and more that I studied and I practiced and I worked, the more I learned how to do algebra. Jesus is telling them, I'm your teacher. When you're fully trained, you'll be like me. Look, if you're you're a disciple in that moment, if you're a disciple in that moment, and he's saying, you're going to be like me, do you think they're thinking, man, you're really nice. I can't wait to be nice like you. I can't wait to just be so kind. That's gonna be great. Or do you think they're thinking about the time that he stood on the edge of the boat and told the waves, stop? 
Or do you think that they're remembering the times that he made a mud cake out of some spit and put it on a guy's eyes and that guy could see? So he's telling, if you're fully trained, you're gonna be like me. It says in Matthew, it says almost the same thing in Matthew chapter 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and for the servant to be like his master. He's not just teaching them things that they need to repeat and regurgitate. He's not teaching them uh, words that they need to say. He's not just teaching them, here's how you get people saved. He's teaching them, here's how you do the fullness of ministry like I do. That's why he gathers them together and says, go and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God. Because that's what he did. And he wanted them to be trained like him. And so if we want to live like Jesus, then we have to live like Jesus in word and action. Look, the gifts are not a prerequisite to salvation. So if you've never, if you've never prophesied, if you've never prayed and you've never seen someone healed, if you've never moved with uh, a, over an abundance of mercy, it doesn't mean you're not saved because gifts of the Spirit are not a prerequisite for salvation. None of them are. Okay, speaking in tongues is not a prerequisite for salvation or for the Holy Spirit. So all the people who disagree with the gifts of the Spirit, they're still saved. But, but there's, it's this consequence of being obedient fully to Jesus are the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit. Imagine that, that, that you go into rural Africa and you go into one of the villages and you find a, a young person who for the first 15 years of their life has only eaten rice, some beans, and whatever they can grow on their farm. And that's the extent of it. They're lucky if they can raise a chicken. Their neighbors might have goats, but they're too poor, so they've never eaten that. So imagine that that's their framework, that's their view, right? Because sometimes that's our framework and that's our view. I've only been taught this. I've only uh, heard this before. And imagine you took that young man and you flew him down to Mooresville and you took him to Golden Corral. <laughs> and there's mashed potatoes. And there's fried chicken that's been sitting there for two hours. And there's canned green beans. Can you imagine? Can you imagine his response and his reaction? Can I eat this? All of it? As much as I want? Jesus is saying, you can have it all as much as you want. Come after it. Live like Jesus. It's there. It's available. It's for us. It's expected. Jesus. Eyes on the Father. And in the next couple weeks, we're going to have a really big announcement about how we're, so the, the, the series that we're doing on Sunday nights, just this kingdom basics, we're gonna be practicing these things. We're practicing these gifts, so come. Come on those Sunday nights, and, and we're just gonna practice. Well, I don't know what that means. Just come. We're not gonna force you to do anything. Just get your butts here, and then you'll see. And then we're gonna have a big announcement in a few weeks 
about how we're going to dive really deep into this as a church and give you opportunity to do so as well. That's my teaser for the week. But if we want to live like Jesus, we have to remember, Jesus, eyes on the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, carried out a ministry full of authoritative teaching, healing the sick, and casting out demons. That's what Jesus did. And then Jesus expected his followers to carry out the mission of the church in the same way. As he's going to, he's going to be dying soon, he's telling his disciples the last things that they need to know. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. First thing, whoever. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. Do you think Jesus is talking about just teaching here or just preaching the gospel? Though that's part of it. But in the book of John, works is never teaching. It's miracle, right? It's largely referring to, in the book of John, the works is largely just retelling the John chapter five where he heals the the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. But that's not teaching. If he wanted to, he said, you can teach the things that I've taught, but he said, no, you're gonna do what I do. And again, do you think that they're thinking, oh, that Sermon on the Mount was really good. I can't wait to give 400 of those in my lifetime. Or do you think they were thinking, but wait, you told that guy to take up his bed and walk. And he did. And then in Acts, James and John come across a man And he's crippled and can't walk. And they go up to him and they say, I don't have any money to give you, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, take up your bed and walk. And I can just imagine this message of Jesus just going all in their mind. You'll do the same things that I did. You'll do the same things that I did. You'll do the same things that I did. Whoever believes, whoever believes in greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father and he says, I'm gonna send you the helper that you need. Everybody asks, what's the greater works? What's the greater works? I don't know, but it sounds awesome, right? Some people think it's greater in scope, that more people have been healed in the history of the church than, than, have been he, than were healed directly by Jesus. There's more salvations in the history of the church than people who came to salvation under Jesus' direct ministry. I don't tend to think that way. But there's something greater. And so we, how do we live the empowered life, living like Jesus? That's the question, right? I hope I've made the case for you that Jesus performed his works, his power, his miracles because the Holy Spirit 
was indwelling him and he was so connected to the Father that when the Father gave permission, the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to do the miracles. And the Bible says the same spirit that was in Jesus, the same spirit that raised him from the dead now lives in you. So you can live that empowered life. Look, if Jesus did stuff out of his godness, if he only performed miracles, if he only taught, if he only preached the gospel because he was God, then when he says, you'll do the same things that I do, it can't be true because we're not God. And you're not God. But because he says we could do the same things, then we must have the same form, the same uh, method of empowerment that he did. And these are the gifts of the Spirit. They can be found in Exodus 31, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. The Exodus 31 I'll explain in a second. But when I taught on this uh, now about four years ago, three years, four years ago, uh, now it'll be three and a half, uh, we broke them down in the section. So if you go to, to, okay, so Exodus 31, it's the first time that the Holy Spirit fills someone in Scripture. And it's Bezalel, and he is filled to be an artist. Right? He is filled to craft things for the temple. So I put that one in there. But if you go to Romans 12, there, there's a section that says the gifts of the Spirit are these. 1 Corinthians 12, and these are the gifts of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, he gave gifts to men. 1 Peter 4, here's how we walk in the Spirit. So I broke them down into three sections. And so these encompass all of those in those lists. The love gifts. The gifts of administration, helps, serving, mercy, giving, and art. And it's my contention that Jesus, at one point or another in his ministry, did every gift of the Spirit listed here except for two, and we'll get to those at the end. But he was an administrator. God, Jesus, there's, there's 5,000 people here. How are we gonna feed them? Well, let me administrate. Uh, you guys go set them in groups of, I forget what it was, was it 90 or 50? Groups of 50, and then I'm gonna tell you what to do after that. And then you come to me, and then, of course, he multiplies the loaves and the fishes, but he administrates it out. He helps. He came not to be served, but to serve. He has mercy. We know that they, they carried money around with them to give to the poor. Right? And, well, he, we never see that he did art. I'm, excuse me, so there's three. You know, but the, you know, the woman, maybe the woman at, caught in adultery comes and he starts to do stuff in the sand. Maybe he just draws a big frowny face. <laughs> Can I say that, art? Art person, Deborah? Can I, no, I can't say that? Okay, I can't say that. Okay, so we don't actually see that he does any art. But, but wouldn't that put a big old spin on it? I'm talking about just when he was on earth. Um, wouldn't that put a big old spin on that, that, that passage if he was a big old frowny face? You're like, God's sad with us. The word gifts. Teaching. Exhortation and encouragement. Apostleship, leadership, shepherding, pastor, pastoring, evangelism. He taught, Sermon on the Mount, he taught all the time. He exhorted and encouraged. You are Peter's, 
And on, the, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Take heart. My peace, I leave, my, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Take heart, because I've overcome the world. He's encouraging them. He, he is, he's apostolic in his movement, and this does not mean that somebody who is an apostle has the capital A apostle power that the original 12 had. There's none of that, and I don't like when people give themselves the title apostle, but every church planner in a foreign country, in a land they don't know, is doing apostolic work. Every person who goes into a place where there is no churches and starts putting churches there and overseeing them are doing apostolic work. Overseeing a network of people, that's apostolic work. Jesus was a leader. Peter denies him three times and he gently pastors him back into a relationship. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yeah, okay. Here's how you're gonna show that you love me because you've shown that, that your heart can be fickle and you've shown that you might sway back and forth like a flag in the wind. You, that might be what you've shown, but I'm gonna show you that I, that I want you to show me now that you love me. Go feed my sheep. And Jesus was the greatest evangelist. And so every church, pretty much everywhere, would look at those gifts and say, yes, and amen. Right? We choose those. Those are good. We want those. Right? Because no pastor is going to say that all the gifts of the Spirit have ceased when they're up there teaching. Right? That's like, that's irony. But then we split them off into the power gifts, which are found in 1 Corinthians 12. Words of wisdom, knowing what to do. Word of knowledge. Faith, healings, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, and then the two that Jesus never did that we have record of is tongues and the interpretation of tongues. But all the other ones he did, a word of wisdom is knowing how to direct somebody to live knowing how to direct somebody to live, knowing that God is the one prompting you to do that. He heals, he, he says to, to the 10 lepers, he says, here's, here's the wisdom that you need to be healed. Go show yourselves to the preach and as the priest and as you go, as you go, you will be healed. Word of knowledge is knowing something about someone or about a situation without any foreknowledge of it. So he's walking by and there's a little man in a tree and he knows the guy's name. Oh, Zacchaeus, right? Awesome. Jesus had faith, obviously. He healed. He performed other miracles. He was prophetic. Matthew 24 is a huge prophetic chapter about the destruction of the temple and then his final return. Discernment of spirits. James and John come up. Can we rain down fire on our enemies? Can we? And he says, you do not know the spirit of which you speak. I know the spirit of which you speak, but you don't know. Peter you don't have to do that, Jesus. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have, and, G, and Jesus knows what's going on here. And he says, what? Get behind me, Satan. 
Satan's at work. And there's tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so we believe that all of these are in operation still and available for all Christian believers. And here's what the word tells us. This is 1 Corinthians 14. So Paul is writing this in context of 1 Corinthians 12, which is the power gifts listed there. Then he tells them about love, what love is. And then he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. So the command from Paul to Corinth and the command from God to us is to pursue love, be connected to Jesus and the Father, and to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. All of them. But especially that you might hear the voice of God and relay what God said. That's prophecy. Prophecy is the only, uh, is the only gift listed in every list of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament. In all of Paul's writings, when he's talking about the gifts, he always mentions prophecy. He says, if you want to prophesy, prophesy in proportion to your faith. So if you've never prophesied and you want to hear the voice of God, we're going to practice hearing the voice of God. But he says, that's, you should want that. You should want to hear the voice of God. He says, why? Because it's the encouragement, the upbuilding it's for, the cons- it's for consoling the body of Christ. This is, this is the best gift, he said. Man, I want to see people healed. I want to see, see miracles. I want to see all of that. But man, if everybody would be prophetic people in line with what the scripture says here, man, what a great church. And, and if you look at that list, and if you didn't get my notes on your way in, my notes are always up on the website. You can get them at the top when you go to faithstatesville.org. But you have to understand, you have a gift. The gifts and callings of God, which you've already given you, are irrevocable. So, so what you see, so when you go to, to somebody who is in touch with the, the spiritual realm, uh, illegally, a medium, uh, a witch, something like that, right? Uh, uh, on, my, uh, on my road to my house by the freeway, there was a sign, and it caught my attention because it was yellow, and I recognized the top line of the sign. It said, curanderas, Mexican witch. And then it said, in Spanish, but I can read a little bit of Spanish and kind of get the sense of it. She says, I'll read your cards. I'll tell your future. I'll cast spells for you. 100% guaranteed. With a phone number. The reality? They might be able to do that. Because God gifted them with the ability to be in connection to the spiritual world. But they've just gone off the rails into the evil side of it. But the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And if, if she were to be saved, then she would probably see into the spiritual realm legally from that point on. So you have a gift. 
You have a gift, and your gift might annoy people sometimes. That's what I have gift tension up there for. If you're saying, I don't know what my gift is. If you were to visit a church, or even you're in this church, and you're like, the church is missing this. The church needs this. The church needs to feed the poor more. You might have the gift of mercy or helps. Because there's that tension in you. I want this, but it's not there. And then what you have is you have people who they kind of rub up against each other the wrong way because of their gifts. Like prophetic people and administrative people. Because prophetic people are like, God showed me this and it's gonna be grand and glorious and it's gonna be beautiful. And the administrative person is like, well, how's that gonna work? What are we gonna do to make that happen? Huh? And the prophet's like, I don't know, but it's gonna happen. And so I'm saying things like, hey, this is gonna happen. And my wife is like, Charles, how's that gonna happen? And I say, it's Lord, first of all. And second of all, Lord Charles, no. <laughs> or you have, or you have the, the apostolic type leader who's like, let's go ahead. Let's forge the, the river. Let's keep going. Let's break down the walls. And the person with mercy is like, but there are so many people. Look at how many people you're walking by. Look at all the people falling through the cracks while you're going forward. Can't we do it? And then Paul's like, no, just leave him behind. And Barnabas is like, no, I'm going with him. You have a gift. So when you, when you see those places where you're like, oh, no, it has to be like that, might be a sign that your gifting is there. Man, I want to see more miracles. I want the faith to grow. Faith. I want that. Well, you start it. It's your gift. So I think that there are there are gifts, giftings that are more natural to us. But I also believe, my personal belief is that you have access to every other gift at times when the Spirit sees fit to give you the gift. I don't believe that I have a gift of healing. But I've prayed for people and I've seen them healed. I don't believe that I, I'm, I necessarily have the gift of miracles, but I've seen miracles when I've prayed. Because God will give you, that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, and he gives them out to each one as he wills. And if he's telling us to pursue all the spiritual gifts, earnestly desire them, God's not in the business of promising us something that we can never attain. That's not in his character. He's not a manipulator. So when he says, earnestly desire these things, and he's talking about those, those power gifts, you can move in them. You can walk in them. They're for you. The gifts of the Spirit are to empower our lives. The gifts of the Spirit to empower our lives, we always have to remember they do not originate in you. You don't get access to these gifts because you're a special, great person. You get access to these gifts because Jesus Christ died so that you could have the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ died 
so that you could be pure and righteous before him and live like he did. They come from God, so we must stay connected to and abiding in God. You know, in my past, I've seen this happen. I've seen that happen. I've seen this. I don't see it anymore. Are you connected? Are you abiding? Are you asking, Father, what are you doing? Because that's what Jesus did. Because he only did what the Father was doing. We have to stay connected to God. We have to stay following Jesus. And the gifts are to be worked out in community benefiting one another. It does you no good if you go prophesy to your bedroom wall. (laughs) Because what is prophecy for? It's for the encouragement, building up, and consolation of the church. And a well-balanced church needs all of the gifts of the Spirit under the same roof. So we need people who are administrative. We need people who are discerning. We need people who have mercy and helps. We need people who have apostolic type vision. We need people who teach. We need all of these people under the same roof. And yes, it gets difficult and it gets messy, but you have if you have a gift, you have a role. They're supposed to be worked out in community. If you go look at that list at some point, if you go check that out, there's none there that you can do on your own. Like some people, like, they'll try to exhort and encourage themselves in the mirror, right? You can get through the day. You can do it. Let's do it. Let's go. You got this. All right. Come on. It's not how it works. They have to be worked out in community. And they're supposed to be worked out in humility for the growth of the kingdom and the benefit of the church. I get to tell stories because I'm up here. This week, I get to tell a group of pastors and leaders the story of this church. I'm I'm doing a session at a conference, and it's all about, here's how you take a group of people, and and you take them from not practicing the gifts to a place where the gifts are practiced and honored and revered. And I feel like a blind guide leading some blind people (laughs) because I still feel like I'm groping sometimes. Man, I got all the the technical side down, but man, okay, so how do we make the prophetic have a, have a, a voice in the church on a Sunday morning? I don't know. And there are other workshops at this conference that I'm going to that I need to be at, but I can't because I'm teaching. (laughs) Okay, record it because I need this. I need to listen. It's what we, we need to work these things out in humility. That it's not I. It's not you. It's us. Working out for the growth of the kingdom. It's not us trying to get more people who listen to us or people thinking that we're really special, right? Because, I, I, guys, I don't know if you know this, but you're the weird church. 
You just are. Wear it. It's a badge. It's an honor. It's the glory of God. <laughs> Having a conversation with Pat and Amy, and they were telling us about their friends, and they're like, where do you go to faith? They said, or where do you go to church? And it's like, we go to faith. And they're like, oh, here's some weird stuff happens out there. <laughs> yeah, but the Bible's weird, so Bible stuff happens out here. Like, it's got to be for the benefit of everybody. Because those same people that call you weird, when they have something that they can't deal with, who are they going to call? When they have a problem that they've been praying for that they can't seem to get rid of, and they've gone to their people, where are they going to go? Where their power, where the gifts are active, where people are led by the Spirit and after. Pray that this continues to be that place. So here's what I want you to think about as I close. Do you have the Holy Spirit? If you're a believer, the answer is yes. You have the Holy Spirit. He is given to you as a seal and as a sign for your future glorification. But we also see, so if you're not a believer this morning, it's available. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose again, and you're willing to follow him with all of your heart, with all of your life, with all of your actions, if you're willing to do that, Salvation is, this is the day. And he'll give you the Holy Spirit. Right? And we see people in the Bible who have the Holy Spirit who need a, an influx at certain times. They're filled with the Spirit to preach. They're filled with the Spirit to perform signs and wonders all through the book of Acts. People are filled for this reason. Do you want to live like Jesus? And that's a loaded question because I'm not asking you if you want to be nice. I'm not asking you if you just want to be gentle and meek. I'm asking you, do you want to live in word and in action the way that Jesus did? Man, the way you answer that can change your life. And then lastly, what is your gift? I'm going to do something. Stand with me. I want everyone to do this even if you believe that you know what your gift is. Um, I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit speaks to anybody who asks this this morning. Okay. And it's a simple question. God, in what gifting do you want to use me? What gifts do you want to give me for your kingdom? 
And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just speak to everyone. I've done something similar to this before, right? And I think that, you know, I'm walking around pretty confident that I know my giftings and I know what God's blessed me with. And, and I did this. And God immediately spoke to me. And he told me something. And I said, really? Okay. We'll see. But it scares me a little bit. I don't know if I can do it. And then God just reminds you, I'll never leave you, I'll forsake you, I'm there. So if you want to ask that, I'm going to have you ask it in just a second. And you have to ask it out loud. It doesn't have to be loud, but it has to be out loud. Right? Most, most prayers should be out loud, and prayers like this in community will do out loud. You're going to ask, and then I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit if he would just reveal. And I want you to quiet your mind and still it and see what comes into your mind. So if you want to do this exercise on the count of three, say, God, how do you want to gift me? Okay, that's all you say. And then immediately following that, I'm just going to say, Holy Spirit, will you please speak? Okay. One, two, three. Holy Spirit, speak. open your eyes let's be a little bit brave who felt like they heard something from God you can just raise your hand I'm not going to tell you awesome good hands 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 if you didn't I'm going to venture to say that you probably did and you're trying to discount it right now well, I don't know if that was just me or if that was God I'm not sure I've been there I'm still there I'm always there Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We love you. We're not going to end with a song, Jared. We're just going to end like this this morning. Thank you for being ready, though. I appreciate that. Father, as great, it is, as great as it is to worship you and to adore you, Father, this morning I want us to leave empowered by you, knowing that you have gifted us to impact the world for your kingdom, to impact this church and the church uh, global at large with your goodness, with your glory, with your power. Lord, let us be people who live like Jesus, not only in word, but in action, in deed, in power and authority. Let it rest on us now.
Father, and as we go, let us go in your power for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come tonight. Come tonight, 6 o'clock. Bring your instruments. Bring your...